Good morning, everybody. Let's turn to the scripture I want to look at today, which is found in the book of Joshua, the very last chapter, which is chapter 24. And while you're finding that, let me mention, I missed part of the announcements, um, but I want to say two things. One, um, a huge thank you, and that seems cheap, to the wonderful, faithful volunteers that we have in this congregation, especially nearly, I think it was somewhere around 60 or 70 that made VBS this past week possible. Um, I, you know, I don't have to do anything at VBS. Um, I, but I just wander around and watch. And what an incredible bunch of volunteers we have who pour their hearts into it and make it possible. And the seed that is sown in little hearts, the seed of the gospel, God knows how to water it and keep it there. And it may be in my own experience as a pastor, I have had people come into my office um, lost, lives a mess. And the only seed of the gospel they have was, I went to VBS when I was a little kid. I remember my neighbor invited me and took me. And they hear some things and it sticks. And God has a hook uh, in them that he continues to just carefully draw and call and open their eyes. So this has been, this past week is a valuable week and I want to thank again the volunteers. Second, um, we have about, I think we have right about 30 or 31 kids today who are high school kids who are on their way to St. Louis and there are I think seven, eight adults in addition to those who are driving them there. Um, this is the missions trip, and they go with an organization called Next Step, and they go to uh, often to small churches that maybe the building itself needs help, or people in the congregation do, or a myriad of different needs, and they spend the week working. And so we need to really pray for them. Um, you know, there's places where there's not danger, but I worry all the time about all kinds of stuff. Um, and so I think Kansas City, um, you know, going into difficult parts of Kansas City, I think, you know, they need to go somewhere else, like go to Wright or, or someplace, you know, <laughs> help at Rosette. Um, they're closer to home. Um, but they'll, they've been through this before, and they always come back uh, not only blessed, but having been a blessing. So please pray for them this week. <clears throat> There's usually some bumps and scrapes and twisted ankles and things like that. Um, and then there's the travel. So keep them in your prayers this week, if you would. Now, Joshua, chapter 24. <clears throat> Joshua, we know, 
commissioned by the Lord to take over from Moses when Moses had led the people to the border of the promised land, the Jordan River being the border. And then Moses died and God brought Joshua in in to fill the shoes of Moses and lead the people across the Jordan and into the promised land, not for ease, but for about 30 years of war. And Joshua was God's choice to go in. And after all this time, in chapter 24, at the end of Joshua's life, he lived 110 years, we find in chapter 24, and this is a fairly long reading, but it's okay. In verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Most versions say the river, but that's what it's talking about. Terah, the father of Abram, Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord... He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you were over the Jordan, you, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them all into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you would not built, and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord." And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. All that sounds great. Makes us wonder what Joshua is on to in verse 19, but it'll become clear. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord your God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. We'll end our reading there. The thought I want to look at really comes from the decision that, and the choice that Joshua announced to all the people. Verse 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That introduces us to the whole issue of choice, the capacity to choose, the responsibility for choices that we make. The first thing I want us to think about is that choice, the power to choose, is dignifying. It is an exalted thing that God did for us in creation in giving us the awesome power to choose. And specifically, we're not talking here about all the life choices other than those that are moral. That's what sets us apart as humans from every other living being. We alone can make and do make moral choices. We know right from wrong. 
And there's a difference with us from every living being. That the choices we make have moral consequences to them. Now, all of that is because we have a moral governor who inhabits eternity, who created us, and who monitors us, and who commands us, directs us. And in response to him, we make choices. We make choices every day. It is interesting that that which God has made us, giving us the power to choose, while it is dignifying, it also lays on us awesome responsibility. We will give account for those choices. So, the dignifying power to be a choosing self-determining being we want to shirk we'd rather get rid of it we'd rather we didn't have that power or at least we pretend that we don't have it I can't help it yeah the problem is you can the problem is I can and then not only I can but that's followed with I should that's why God gives us shoulds and should nots as his commandments his statutes his precepts his directives to us Everywhere, everywhere in Scripture is the underlying assumption, the behavior, if you want to call it, on the part of God. He treats us everywhere as people who have the power to choose. He appeals to us. He rebukes us whether it's individually or as a whole people, everywhere God assumes that he has created us in his image. And part of that image is the power to choose. And with it comes responsibility. To escape responsibility and accountability we actually try to divest ourselves of the power to choose. We pretend we can't help it. We pretend that we, well, I, you know, I just, I didn't know, I couldn't help, I tried. And I don't mean, I'm, I don't mean to be harsh. But I've talked to an awful lot of people. He said, how are you doing spiritually? You know, are you walking with God? Are you obeying God? Are you reading your Bible and praying? You have a good devotional life with God? Are you walking with the Lord? And I don't want to be a nitpicker or, again, mean. People say, well, you know, I'm trying. That doesn't get it. <laughs> that assumes 
it assumes often I'm fine, my intentions are fine, but things beyond my control keep me from doing what I know I ought to do. No, they don't. You have a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Our choices can run deep. We can choose. There's so much today that in a society, our society has been on a 40 or 50 year long endeavor to excuse us from accountability and responsibility for decisions and choices that we make. We, we know that. It's everywhere. It's how you were raised. It's your, whether you're, you know, 50,000 different excuses for why I did what I did, but I'm not, I should not be held accountable. The problem is, humans may go for that, but God will never go for it. Ever. He knows I can choose. He made me. And he appeals to that. And he expects me to respond. So choice, really, choice is what sets us apart from our pets. You know, we say, well, maybe they can choose, you know, they, they, don't, they won't eat the dog food we bought them. No, that's not what we're talking about. When I let my children off the hook, for decisions and choices they make, I'm really reducing them to the level of a pet because I'm not holding them responsible and pretending that they couldn't help it. That's not dignifying. So God, it seems backwards, but God is dignifying to us, treating us as a lofty being because I can choose. Second thing, choice is demanded. Verse 15, Joshua said, Choose you this day. There's no choice is inescapable. It's unavoidable. And God makes it that way. Choice, just simply looking it up in the dictionary, is to make a determination, make a decision between two or more options based on some level of evidence that you have considered. Now some are quick decisions, some are well thought out decisions, but faced with options, I am it is demanded of me that I make a choice. Neutrality, when it comes to God, is unheard of. It itself is a choice. To choose to be neutral is a choice. And it's a choice against God. Well, I just... Just thinking about this. I'm bugged all the time by people, some people in my household whose names I won't share. 
you got to, you know, I fall off the wagon. I, I made a choice. I made a choice to rescind an earlier choice. The earlier choice was to swear off Cheetos. And I've fallen off the wagon. But even the word falling off the wagon implies I couldn't help it. But I did help it because I bought them. Okay? We make decisions. They may be very insignificant, trivial. But none of them, none of them are somehow overwhelming to us and that we can't, we can't help it. I can't say, I tell you, the addiction to Cheetos has just gotten... I, I don't... I, I bought them. Even the big bags. <laughs> it's a decision. We make decisions. Face it. Own it. Be accountable for it. Choices then are unavoidable. And when it comes to God... He hems us in to where we must choose. Choose you this day. There is, of course, when it comes to God, there is not only an inescapable choice, but there is, there is an immediate choice. He didn't, he didn't say, choose within the next 30 years. Well, wait till the kids are grown and give them their own choices to whether they go to church or not. He didn't say that. He said, choose you today who you're going to serve. God demands that. The reason He does is because of the brevity of our life, the complete absence of knowledge of when I'll face God. The total the total inability for us to do a thing, to extend our lives. We don't know the day of our life, nor do we have any power over death. We don't know when we're going to be ushered out instantly to face God. That's why he says, you choose now. You choose today. Choice is demanded. Choice cannot be avoided. The third thing, now looking at that strange seems passage that starts in verse 19, you would think that Joshua, here serving really as a prophet, and he is, he was not only their military leader, but he was a prophet of the Lord. And God spoke through him. And he said, you've got all the ancient history of idol worship going way back to our ancestors. And then he, ha he said, you have the more present um, whole group of gods that are worshipped here in Canaan. And you see it all around you. And you watch that worship. And he says, so you've got the ancient choice, you've got the present choices, and you've got the Lord. And that's why Joshua spent all that time that I read rehearsing to them the evidence. Choice is based on evidence. 
And he reminded them all God did for them. How upright and true and faithful and good God is. There's evidence every day that God just keeps telling us. I wish I could understand what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) I don't. But I read an interesting, interesting article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal on what else? Climate change. But some guy who's managed to live, probably undercover somewhere so he doesn't get killed, some famous, well-known scientist, climate scientist, brought up something, and I don't really understand the scientific terms, but in all of the models that people make for, you know, the climate crisis, it's, you know, we're all going to die. This could be the last Sunday we're in church. Seas will rise and we'll, you know, so we'll drown while the tops of our heads are being fried. Do you understand? He brought up a little thing he said that he, no one has refuted him. In all these models, cloud cover that comes and goes and is in narrower, the grids, he said, are 60 miles wide that they lay over the whole globe and try to predict and all this. Nobody is able, because of the constant flux, of taking in cloud cover. And as he studied cloud cover, it's a whole system. It's a whole system that releases or traps heat. And as the heat rises to a certain degree, it will release it. And then the clouds will cover and they can't figure out how to factor that in to all these nonsense models they come up with that predict stuff. And so the models don't have the information in them. And the whole point is, the article was entitled, Can the Earth Heal Itself? And the point is that the Earth has built into it self-healing climate and so forth adapts and it, it's like I told it's, I told Liz after reading I cut it out and I told her to read it and I'm going to copy it, send it to some people it makes you think maybe somebody made this and maybe he was thinking when he made it God is inescapable We have to deal with him. He's there. Choice is demanded. Now it is defined. It seems that Joshua got these people when he was talking to them where he would want them to be. He said, choose you this day. So they did. They said, all right, we'll serve the Lord. We won't abandon the Lord. Joshua said, if you think it's evil or not good to serve the Lord, 
then go ahead and serve the gods of on the other side of the Euphrates. No, we're not going to. For a long time I've read this passage and thought, what then is Joshua's problem here? He got the whole congregation to respond to an altar call. They all came to the altar. They all raised their hands for prayer. They all said, yeah, we'll serve you. We'll serve God. We're with you, Joshua. But choice is defined here by what Joshua knew the story was. Their surface choice and their verbiage, their words, were double-tongued. They weren't sincere. What did they say? Their first response, we will serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. No, they weren't. They were talking good. But notice as we move through here, Joshua says, and it's strange words, you can't serve the Lord. Now, what is he, is he saying no one can serve the Lord? And then he goes ahead and says something that seems really off the wall. He won't forgive you. You think, what? The Bible's filled with God's forgiveness for us. What's he talking about here? He is forcing them to face up to the fact of their double-minded, talking out of both sides of their mouth, confession that they're going to serve God. And so he really, logically, hems them into a corner. He says, you're not able to serve the Lord for He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. A lot of times people read that and they think, jealousy is horrible. Why does God say He's jealous? Jealousy doesn't have to be bad. Normally it is in our context. But with God, it simply means, I will not have a rival. I will not put up with being two-timed. He won't do it. I won't take too much time here. <clears throat> but for a while, after I got saved and I went off to a Bible college, I don't know how long it was, maybe it was a couple months, I had two girlfriends. Okay? I thought it was great. I was for it. <clears throat> but there was one of the girlfriends that didn't like it too much. Uh, and I still happened to be with her. <laughs> and very calmly, very calmly, one day we ran at each other at the mailboxes. And she mentioned this other girl who was kind of chasing me and I was not running too hard. And she named her and she said, you make your mind up. Which one? And you do it today. And I always thought, hey, listen, nobody tells me. 
I run this show. You know what I mean? Listen. I knuckled under like that. <laughs> In my heart, it wasn't a hard decision. But until I was called to account, I was waffling between two opinions. And I was playing both sides of the road. Until I was confronted and forced to make a choice. That's what God does. And that's what God is doing here with Joshua. Joshua said, in the state you're in right now, you're talking good, but you're not living this. And he says to them, God's a jealous God. He won't put up with that. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Meaning, not never, but in your current state of indulging your transgressions and your sins while still pretending to serve God. He won't do that. A sinning Christian is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. And I know I'm in the minority. I don't care. Joshua also took the position here. He said, I don't care what anybody else does. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. You guys want to go your way? That's fine, he says. Not me. This is the determination I'm making. And so he goes on with them. And they say again, we won't forsake the Lord. We won't serve foreign gods. We'll serve the Lord. Well, Joshua goes ahead then, and he says, You are witnesses in 22 against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We're witnesses. Yeah, we agree. Then this, he gets them where he's got their own words he can use against them. Did you guys say that? Yeah, we said it. Can't deny it. Then, there's a really, really important word in verse 23. He said, then, in light of, that little word then, then if what you, mean, what you say you really mean, you put away the strange gods. No, no more a foot in two worlds. All of your talk, he's saying, has been fake. Because you know that maybe in secret, but nevertheless God knows, you do have other gods. Now, in our day and age, I think sometimes it's hard for us to think well, I don't have any other gods because we don't have gods of wood and stone and we don't burn incense to some little shrine in the, you know, the living room or whatever. We're not into any of that. And so we kind of think, you know, I, I don't worship other gods. Why? Listen, there are all kinds of gods in this world, whether they're stone, wood, or not. 
there's money, there's prestige, there's power, there's people's opinions, there's, there's your appearance, there's the impression that the community has of you. There's a thousand other gods that we can serve. Notice this too. We're made to serve. No human being. We, we can say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a self-made man. Yeah, and what a mess you've made. I can believe it. <laughs> it was a do-it-yourself job. We, we can't serve ourselves. We're not even made that way. God intended us to serve Him. And if we don't serve Him, we serve in a far different meaning of the word serve. In bondage, we serve other gods. Not like our God. So God defines the choice here. There's so much today where people serve the Lord and in their mind. And this other God, this other endeavor, this other thing gets my energy and my time. I read the other day the Babylon Bee. I don't know how many of you read that. It's a satire site. They've got church down to, I mean, they understand it. Talking about how Sunday worship, church services, youth group, those kinds of things are starting to, to get in the way of soccer. Now, that's just picking that sport. It used to be, seemed like, other stuff. But nowadays... Um, you know, you have seven-year-olds who've got their eyes set on a Division I scholarship. You understand what I mean? It's, it's absurdity to the nth degree. And we're in debt, and we spend all kinds of money as parents, and we've got to go buy a Suburban when we can't afford it. But we have to. Well, we serve the Lord when there isn't something else to do. As long as there's not something else to do, we serve the Lord. Joshua had their number. He knew it, and they knew it. So the choice, whether it's a legitimate, sincere choice, is defined by just how certain I am that I've said I'm going with God that's it that's it period I'll mind God with all my heart I made I felt directed hope it is decent um, recorded a little devotional last week um, that we put online that really our, we only have one job. We have one solemn duty as human beings. That is to make sure that I make my will God's. 
I merge my will and submit it to the Father of Spirits. Hebrews says, when He disciplines us, when He denies us certain requests we make, when our path takes turns we don't wish or didn't know or hope wouldn't happen. The writer of the Hebrews said, shall we not be submissive, subject to the Father of Spirits, and live? What does it mean? It means if I'm not subject to the Father of Spirits, I'll die. I've got to go with God. And I've got to go 100%. 100%. Finally, in the 20th verse, we notice these words. Still in, in Joshua pointing out their duplicity. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your transgression or your sins in the current condition you're at. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you or destroy you, having in the past done you good. The same God who pours out His blessings on us, if we follow Him, serve Him with our whole hearts, will likewise, and he, we have to face it, He's just, He's fair, He's faithful, He tells us ahead of time. That same unlimited strength and power to bless me, to exalt me, to help me, to supply my needs, to be with me, to carry me, that same unlimited power will be turned to destroy me. And he promised it. So choice is determinative. It decides. It determines my future. I don't really have the time to go into the impact of our children, our families, our loved ones, our friends. Because Joshua not only said, I'm going to serve the Lord, but he said, my house is going to too. That's a whole other sermon. Just to say this, God doesn't give us um, freedom to decide. In a sense, he forces us to choose as parents, with our loved ones. How can I... Well, I let my children decide. You know, they're 13. Yet we'll make them eat their green beans. We won't dare let them have this or have that. We worry about that, and you can't eat this, and I don't want you to do that. But God... Oh, you can decide for yourself. We'll answer for that. Hear me good, having brought up that subject, we won't answer for the choice our children made. God himself, God himself said, I have raised up children, but they've rebelled against me. He's a good parent. He never made mistakes. 
He didn't say, well, I wish I'd have done this different. So I'm not responsible for how my children choose to serve or not. But I am responsible for what effort I put forth to guide them, show them, demonstrate before them that we've got to go with God wholeheartedly. Let's bow our heads. I want us to just take a moment while Tanner comes to pronounce the closing prayer. Let God just talk to our hearts. We know we don't need a whole lot of time either. About five seconds. Am I 100% serving God or not? Lord, as I trust you are speaking to us even now in this room, I want to give us all an opportunity to answer what Joshua said. Will we make a choice today? So Lord, I want to just offer that moment for us to decide in our hearts. Father, we recognize this morning just how powerful and just how dignifying it is that you give us, your little creatures, the power to choose. You give us the power to choose in all areas of our lives, what we do, what we don't do, and in the most important area of our life, whether we worship you and we follow after you or we don't. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that each of us would have the courage to make the right choice. To make the choice that we ought to make, that you repeat to us over and over, this is the way to the fullest life you can have, Lord. We want to go that way. Lord, I pray for the hearts who are very much aware this morning because your Holy Spirit spoke to them that they have been on the wrong path. I want to pray that you would offer them grace and mercy in this moment so that they can know I, I want to go that way, but I'm afraid of what it'll be met with. Lord, we need to have an understanding that you are a shepherd. You're very gentle with us because you know what we're made of. You know what we're like. And so, Lord, you know us. And therefore, you give us grace and mercy to the degree to which we don't even understand. So, Lord, we, we want to accept your grace and mercy this morning. Lord, for those of us who we would have said we have been trying to follow that path, help us to be more firm in our understanding of what that means. Help us to be more firm in knowing instead that we are on the right path, not just trying, but I, I know that I'm walking the path you have for me. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that it is tough sometimes because that toughness of it helps us in the long run. With eternity in mind, we need some toughness here and now to get where we want to go. And so Lord, we're grateful this morning for your truth.
So thankful to get to worship together and to hear that truth together so that we can know as we look around the room that we're not alone, that there's others trying to do this life the right way that you call us to do it. So Lord, we pray you would help us as we go to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week. Help us to be the kind of people who walk out your path, your way, your plan for us as your people, your children. We pray that you'd go with us, Lord, as we know you're faithful to do. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.